our ser- series by faith, looking through the book of Hebrews chapter 11, and um, I'm ready to get into this word with you guys. I hope you've got your Bible, and I hope that you are ready to take notes this morning. This is a this is a take notes sermon, and then when you get home and you read them, you shout later. It's I'm just I'm excited about this message, but there's a lot of content in it. And, um, and, and there's, there's a, a lot of Jesus in it. And, and so I want you to, uh, I hope that you, you're able to take some notes because I want you to see Jesus in this sermon this morning. We always want to point to Jesus. It's all about Jesus. That's why we gather every Sunday is because Jesus has, has came, has came and, and saved us and, and delivered us and, and has brought us out of darkness into marvelous light. It's all about Jesus. Somebody said Amen. So we're going to look at, we're going to look this morning at Hebrews chapter 11. You got your Bible. Go ahead and turn to Hebrews chapter 11. We're going to look at verse 27 and 28, and then we're just going to dig into the Bible. We're going to dig into Exodus. We're going to look at the story this morning, and we're going to talk about Moses, Jesus, and Passover. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 27 says this, by faith, he left Egypt, that's Moses, not, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith, he kept the Passover. NIV puts it, says it this way, By faith, he, that's Moses, kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood, so that the destroyer of the firstborn would not touch the firstborn of Israel. I love that. It tells us, the, the writer of Hebrews tells us that Moses kept the Passover because he saw him who is invisible. He had an encounter with the invisible. What's that mean? It just means, this, it means that Moses met Jesus. Moses had an encounter with Jesus in the burning bush, and in that encounter, God told Moses that he had heard the cries of the Hebrews. We talked about that a few weeks ago. We talked about, we talked about how God was delivering them from the oppressor, that God had heard their cries from the oppressor of Egypt, that God was willing and calling Moses to lead the people out of Egyptian bondage. They had been slaves in Egypt for over 200 years. All of Moses' life, the Hebrews had been slaves. He had seen them mistreated. He had seen them taken advantage of. He had seen them treated unjustly, unfairly, and unrighteously. He, he even stood up for one of them in his own power. He had even taken the life of one of the Egyptian taskmasters. And in his own power, he was understood that he was, he was unable to truly make a difference. He understood that in his own power, he could not free his people and that scared him. It, it made him feel overwhelmed. It made him feel insignificant. Here he was with all of this wealth and authority in the king's palace and in Pharaoh's palace. But he, remember, he chose to be associated with the Hebrews instead of receiving the riches of being Pharaoh's, the daughter of Pharaoh, the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Moses wanted to make a difference, listen, but he did not believe he could do it. Anybody ever been there? (laughs) 
you feel like you, you want to make a difference, you want to you do something mighty for God, you want to you you be, be the person God's called you to be, and it feels like it's impossible that you come against a roadblock every time, that it doesn't matter what you do, you are not strong enough or capable enough or powerful enough to accomplish the will of God for your life. Moses felt that. He did not know what to do, so in fear and in confusion, you know what he did? He ran. He ran. He ran from Pharaoh. He ran from Egypt. He ran from his people, and he went out into a, to the desert of Midian. You ever do that? Not run the Midian. But you ever run? You ever feel like you're so insignificant, it doesn't matter what you try to do, it's not going to work out, so you run, you want to make a difference, but you don't know how, so you feel like you're just going to run. You know how God has something greater he's called you to, but you don't know how you're going to accomplish it, so you run. Moses ended up a shepherd in the fields of Midian watching the sheep that belonged to the father of his wife, a woman that he fell in love with after he fled Egypt. And while he was in the fields tending the flocks, Moses meets Jesus. And God speaks through this burning bush. And God says to Moses in that moment, through that burning bush, God says, I hear their cries. And I'm going to deliver them from the oppressor. I'm going to set them free. I'm going to deliver them to the land I promised to their father Abraham. And I'm going to use you, Moses, to do it. Well, well, Moses, Moses is still in shell shock from an amazement of seeing this this bush that burns and is not consumed and and this voice that comes from this this bush he is in he is in shell shock he is trembling he is he is he is in fear he is in awe and in in that moment he begins to speak and he he starts to make excuses you ever make excuses for why god can't use you when god said he's going to use you well, God, I can't do this, or I'm not strong enough, or I'm not, I'm not smart enough, or I, 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 I can't, I, I, I don't have that training, or, or I don't have that ability, or, or, or there's somebody else that can do it better than I can. There, there's so, and it's, those are excuses that Moses made. What about my brother Aaron? He's a better, better communicator. He's a better speaker. And, and God, you know that I have this problem with, 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 with the way that I, I'm not good at, I, I need you to, I can't. I'm not good speaking, Jesus. And God looks at Moses and said, don't tell me what you're good at and what you're not good at. I made you, and I called you, and I've equipped you. Here's what God was saying. He was saying, when you look at yourself, you see your inadequacies. When I look at you, I see purpose in who I called you and created you to be. What you see as a limitation, I see as a potential testimony. He told God he wasn't good enough. He 
But this is what God said to them. God said, I'm going to send signs to prove to the Hebrews and to the Egyptians, to both of them, that I am who I am, that I am Jehovah, the one who delivers, I am. So, so after Moses has this encounter with Jesus in the bush, after Moses has his faith lifted and elevated, as it, after Moses has his life changed, after Moses is baptized with fire, he then marches back to Egypt with a staff in his hand. Because Moses has said, I can't, I can't do it. What, 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 what am I supposed to do? What, what am I supposed to do? I don't have anything. And, and God looks at Moses and says, what's that in your hand? And he says, oh, it's a rod. It's a staff. He throw it on the ground. He threw it on the ground. It became a serpent, right? No, he said, pick it up. He picked it back up and became a staff. So God is often asking us, because when we, are, when we are afraid or we are feeling insignificant or we are feeling like we can't do what God's called us to do, God just simply says, what is in your hand? Don't look at what you don't have. Look at what I have given you. Don't look at what you don't have. Look at what is right within your grasp, right in front of you. God isn't too weak that he can't use what you think is insignificant. See, I had planned on preaching this sermon two, two Sundays ago. But God knew that we needed it today. Hear me, church. Before Moses met Jesus, Moses was scared. He was weak. He felt lost. He felt alone. He felt unsure of his purpose. But after Moses met Jesus in that burning bush, he realized that he could do all things through Christ who gave him strength. After he met Jesus, he was transformed from a defeated Hebrew to one who would be used to deliver the Hebrews. After he met Jesus, he was transformed from, from a man of fear to a man of purpose, from a man of, of uncertainty to a man of clarity. He was transformed from questioning God to trusting God. I believe we need an encounter with Jesus. I believe we need an encounter with Jesus. Because when we meet Jesus, when we encounter Jesus, it transforms us. When we see Jesus and we get a glimpse of Jesus, we realize that he really is able to do exceedingly and abundantly above all we could ask. After Moses met Jesus, Jesus changed everything. So Moses goes back to Egypt. He meets with Pharaoh. He tells Pharaoh that God said that Pharaoh had something that belonged to God and God wanted it back. He told Pharaoh that God said, let my people go. And you know what happened? I mean, God was with Moses, right? God was with Moses. God had empowered Moses. God had called Moses. God had sent Moses. And Moses marches right up to Pharaoh and said, this is what God said. God said, let my people go. And my Pharaoh said, 
No. How do you think Moses felt? How do you think Moses felt? Moses is probably like, God, I just risked everything to go in front of Pharaoh. I risked my life. I risked the life of the Hebrews. I put you on, on trial. I did everything you said, God. I went right into Pharaoh and said, Pharaoh, God said, let my people go. And Pharaoh just said no, and that was it. You think Pharaoh wasn't, I mean, you think Moses wasn't confused? You think Moses didn't begin to doubt everything he heard God say in that bush? So God has to come back to Moses. And he speaks to Moses again in Exodus chapter 6. If you got your Bible, you want to follow along in Exodus chapter 6, starting at verse 2. I'm reading from the English Standard Version, if you want to read that one, so we're reading the same thing. God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. This is Exodus chapter 6, now verse 3. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty, but, but by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. I established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they lived as sojourners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the people of Israel whom the Egyptians hold as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant. Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord and I will bring you out from the burdens of the Egyptians. So the first time he sent them to Pharaoh, now is where, where is he sending them to? Go to the people of Israel and say this. Pharaoh got a warning, and now Israel is being told. I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment, and I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, and I will give it to you as a possession. I am the Lord. I've identified five basic promises in this to Moses. If you want to write them down, it says the first one is this. The life of the Egyptians won't be your life. In other words, you will have a different identity. You will have a different identity. The second one, you won't be slaves to the Egyptians. In other words, you will be free to be who you were created to be. So you'll have a different identity. You'll be free to be who you are created to be. Number three, I will rescue you with judgment. I will rescue you. 
And the, the fourth one, I will take you as my people. There will be an adoption. I will be your God and you will be my people. And fifth, the fifth promise that God makes here is, I will bring you to your own country. One whose builder and maker is God. And after God reveals these plans to Moses, Moses goes back to Pharaoh, and God sends the plague. And it's in this, it's in these plagues that God takes down the gods of the Egyptians. I, I, love, I love this part of the story. Because sometimes we think of these plagues and we don't, we don't understand the significance of the plagues. We just see these plagues coming and, and, it's, and it's just God's just trying to, to threaten them and threaten them and threaten them until, they'll let, until Pharaoh will let his people go off. If that doesn't work, I'll do this. And if that doesn't work, God's like, well, if that don't work, I guess I'll send in the flies. If that don't work, I guess I'll send in the frogs. If that don't work, then I guess I'll just kill all the cows. Shoot fire. Like it was just God trying to figure something out. What's it going to take? This is intentional. These plagues are attacks on Egypt's gods. In Exodus chapter 12, verse 12, it says this, For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and on all the gods of Egypt... I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The plagues, the plagues were demonstration and deliverance. These plagues were both demonstration of God's power and authority and deliverance for the people of God. The first plague, the first plague if you're taking notes, you can write this down because I, this this, I love this. The first plague, the turning water into blood, it was an attack on Kunum, the guardian of the river, Happy, and the spirit of Nile and Osiris, whose blood was supposedly the Nile. And so when God turns the Nile River to blood, he is actually demonstrating his power over Egypt's god of the Nile. The second plague, the frogs, it revealed the, the, the impotence of Hapi and Heket, who were symbolized by frogs and were related to the Egyptian fertility rites. And so God says, here come the frogs. You think that you, think that, that, that you have it under control and, and you think that you're going to be blessed? Well, well I'm just going to send all the frogs to you. The third plague was a plague of lice. And it told them that the earth god could not save them. Seth, or Seb. The fourth plague was the plague of flies. And it was an attack on the god of flies, Utichit. And I know I said that wrong. The fifth plague the disease on cattle, again, showed the 
powerlessness of Ta and Minvis and Hathor and Ammon and the Egyptian gods associated with bulls and cows. And the sixth plague, the plague of boils, again, revealed the powerlessness of, of Sikma, the goddess of epidemics, and, and Imhotep, the god of healing. Their gods could not do anything against what God was doing. The seventh plague was hell mixed with fire. It revealed the powerlessness of the, of Nut, the sky goddess, Isis and Seth, the Egyptian agricultural deities, and Shu, the god of atmosphere, weather, and sky, that God is in control. They could ask these gods to stop with the, the hell, to stop with the flies, to stop with the lice, and their gods were powerless to stop it. Their gods were powerless to change the things and stop the plagues. The eighth plague, the swarm of locusts. It revealed the powerlessness of Serapia, the de deity who was to protect Egypt from locusts. The ninth plague of darkness revealed the impotence of Ray and Amun Ray and, and Aten and Atum and Horus, all who are related to the sun and sun gods. And finally, the tenth plague. The death of the firstborn of the sons of Egypt was an attack on Osiris, the giver of life, and revealed, this is so, this is just, this is so, I think this is awesome. It revealed the powerlessness of Pharaoh himself, who was worshipped and considered a deity by the Egyptians. God was saying that all of the gods of Egypt are nothing. They cannot stop me. So after the first nine plagues, God says, okay, here's the plan. The soul that sins must surely die. And so God was going to allow the destroyer to take the life of every firstborn except those who followed the plan that God was going to lay out. And so God lays out this plan to defeat the enemy and to deliver the Israelites. And it revolves the death of the son of a God, the son of Pharaoh. And it involves the blood of a lamb covering the people. That's just so awesome. That, that gets me so excited. This plan, this plan of God to bring, I don't, think, I don't think you got it the first time. This plan of God to deliver the Hebrews, it required the death of the son of a God and the blood of a lamb. That's so cool. The death of the son, listen, the death of the son brought, bought freedom and sent them out of bondage. The blood of the lamb covered the sin and was a substitute for the death of the sons of Israel. We're going to dig, we're going to get deep, and I hope that's okay with you guys because I just, I, this is, there's so, it's, I love this. So let's look at Passover, right? Let's look at Passover. Exodus 12. So you've got your Bible. I tell you, we're going to dig deep. So if you've got your Bible, just hang with me. This is like one of the most important events in all of the Bible. Let's, let's look at it. Exodus 12, verse 3. 
It says, tell all the congregation, this is God talking to Moses, tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household. All right, so a lamb. This lamb, it signifies a young, the young of sheep and goats. Your lamb, verse 5, your lamb shall be without blemish, a male, a year old. So it's not to have any natural imperfection, no disease, no deficiency, no redundancy of parts. Verse 7, then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which they eat. This was done by taking this, the, 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 a bunch of hyssop and dipping it in blood and sprinkling it on the doorposts. It says, you shall let nothing of it remain until morning. They had to take the lamb, and they had to consume all of it. They had to consume all of it. How are they going to consume it? How are you going to eat it? This is how you're going to eat it. In this manner, you shall eat it. With your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. As in the eastern countries, all right, in eastern countries, there were these long, loose garments. And whenever they were to travel, they would take these garments, and they, they'd wrap them around their waist and girdle them so that they could, they could get out quickly. That's what he's saying. He's saying with your, your belt fastened, you're supposed to have everything girded up, ready to go. Eat it in haste, sandals on your feet, staff in your hand. They were, they were supposed to have their sandals on because they, they were, God was saying there's a journey that's going to happen. The staff in your hand, be ready to go. You're going to eat it in haste because the destroying angel is at hand. It is the Lord's Passover. Be ready. The word, the word Pesach, it, it's translated Passover, and it literally means, it's two, it literally means to, to, to pass over. So when we talk about the Passover as a festival, it's not just a festival, it's an actual activity that happened when the death angel, the destroyer, passed over those who had taken the lamb, sacrificed it, taken the blood, put it on the doorpost of their house, and had consumed the lamb, and were prepared to go. Verse 13, the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. The blood, listen, it says the blood is a sign to you that you belong to me. Did you catch that? The blood will be a sign for you. It's a sign for you. And it shall be a sign not just to you, but to the destroying angel. You will know that you are mine, and the destroyer will know that you are mine. And the destroyer will pass over because of the blood. And this shall be a memorial day. What's he saying? Don't forget the significance of the blood. Don't forget the significance of this day forever. Verse 19, for seven days, no leaven is to be found in your houses. If anyone eats what is leavened, that person will be cut off. Leaven represents sin all throughout Scripture. 
What, what they're saying is, is get the leaven out, get the sin out, let the blood cleanse you from all sin. Verse 21, kill the Passover lamb. The lamb had to die. The animal that was to be sacrificed on this occasion became known as the Passover lamb. It was a covenant act. So, Exodus 12, verse 28, let's read this together. Then the sons of Israel went and did so, just as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron, so they did. Now it came about midnight that the Lord struck all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on his throne, to the firstborn of the captive who was in the dungeon, and all the firstborn of cattle. Pharaoh arose in the night, he and all his servants and all the Egyptians, and there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was no home where there was not someone dead. Then he called for Moses and Aaron at night and said, Rise up, get out from among my people, both you and the sons of Israel, and go worship the Lord as you have said. Take both your flocks and your herds as you have said, and go and bless me also. So God destroys, the destroyer destroys all the firstborn of Egypt, but passes over everyone that has the blood of the lamb applied to the doorpost of their home. The destroyer destroyed. The destroyer destroyed. Here's what we understand, church, is that everyone who sins, the wages of sin is death. It was an act of mercy that those in Egypt who were Hebrews were saved. Death is the wage for sin. But the mercy and grace came through the blood. So, this firstborn belongs to God. So we've, we've talked about this plan of the Passover. Now I want you to understand this firstborn belongs to God. All right, so in chapter 13, after they celebrate the Passover, God talks about giving the firstborn to God, but he allows for the redemption of sons. This is so cool, but you're going to have to pay attention. Exodus 13, verse 13 says this, Every firstborn of a donkey you shall redeem with a lamb, or if you will not redeem it, you shall break its neck. Every firstborn of man among your sons you shall redeem. So the firstborn belongs to God. Okay? The firstborn belongs to God. That's what, that's what Scripture teaches. So the firstborn of, of an animal, you sacrifice and you give it to God. It belongs to God. But the firstborn of your offspring, your own son, God allows for there to be a substitute so that your firstborn of your own family, your own lineage, doesn't have to die. God allow, establishes a substitute. The firstborn belongs to God. But there's a substitute so that the firstborn, even though it belongs to God, it doesn't have to die. 
What was the, what was the substitute? Every firstborn of a man among your sons you shall redeem. And the substitute is a lamb. Exodus 13, verse 15 says, For when Pharaoh stubbornly refused to let us go, the Lord killed all the firstborn of the land of Egypt, but the firstborn of men and the firstborn of animals. Therefore I sacrifice to the Lord all the males that first opened the womb, but all the firstborn of my sons I redeem. It took the death of the firstborn son of Pharaoh, listen to this, it took the death of the firstborn son of Pharaoh to bring freedom to the Israelites, and it took the death of the one and only Son of God to bring freedom to every man. Firstborn sons had to be redeemed or ransomed or purchased back from God by the sacrifice of a lamb. They had to be redeemed. They had to actually be purchased back. What God said was, they are mine but I'm going to allow you to keep them, but there's going to have to be a transaction. And for you to keep your firstborn son, who actually belongs to me, we're going to have to have a redeemer. There's going to be, have to be redemption, the blood of a lamb. Galatians chapter 3, verse 13 and 14 says this, Christ redeemed us. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Colossians 1, verse 15 through 20 says, The preeminence of Christ. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might have preeminence, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things whether on heaven or earth making peace by the blood of the cross we are sons and daughters of the Lamb of God we are sons and daughters because the Lamb of God died to purchase us back Jesus is the lamb slain to redeem us, and he is the firstborn slain to satisfy the law. He is the lamb slain to purchase us back, and the firstborn slain to satisfy the law. Revelation 13, 8. And it says, all, And all who dwell on the earth will worship it. Everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of, of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who was slain. The Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. It's in regards to this redemption 
this redeeming, this paying the penalty that the Apostle Peter writes this to Christians. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things, you were ransomed not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but you were ransomed with the precious blood of Christ like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. That word lamb is also, and maybe in your Bible, the way you read it, it says Paschal lamb. Peter has Christ as this Passover Paschal lamb in mind when he says you were purchased by the blood of Christ like that of a lamb without spot or blemish. That language is straight from Exodus 12 and from Leviticus 22. Jesus is the Passover lamb who was sacrificed for us. We should have been given over to the destroyer. But Jesus fulfilled the law and ransomed us. So not over was Passover the plan for the Hebrews. Passover was the plan for the world. Passover was the plan for the world. Jesus is the Passover lamb that was sacrificed for us. We've already read through Exodus 12, looking at the Hebrews. I want us to to see how it applies to Jesus real quick. Exodus 12. Tell the congregation of Israel that on the 10th day of the month, every man shall take a lamb according to his father's house as a lamb for his household. Jesus is the Paschal lamb. Verse 5, your lamb shall be without blemish. Jesus was the perfect lamb of God, the only one qualified to die for us because he did not have to die for himself because he was sinless. Verse 7, then shall take some of the blood and put on the doorposts. We have to allow the blood of Jesus to be applied to our lives. Shoes on your feet, staff in your hand, eat it in haste. Listen, don't waste your time. Don't waste your life. Do not wait. Allow Jesus to cover your sin and set you free from bondage. Don't wait and be ready. Be ready. It is the Lord's Passover. Christ is the Passover lamb that saves us from wrath. He causes the destroyer to pass over us. And the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I'll pass over you. And no plague will befall you to destroy you. When I strike the land of Egypt, listen, church, the blood of Jesus is the sign to us that we belong to him. It's the sign to God that we belong to him. And it's the sign to the destroyer that we belong to God. And the destroyer has no authority or place in our life. The destroyer has no claim to you. 
partake of the blood of Christ. Jesus has redeemed you. This day shall be a memorial day forever. I love this. Jesus' death satisfies the Passover requirement forever. It is good forever. Jesus doesn't have to sacrifice again and again and again and again. And we will worship the lamb slain from the foundation of the world forever and ever and ever. Verse 19, for seven days no leaven is to be found in your house. And if anyone eats what is leavened, that person will be cut off. Kill the Passover lamb. Christ is our Passover lamb sacrificed for us. Being ransomed by the blood of the lamb is all about substitution. But the point about without defect or blemish highlights his perfect his perfection, his purity. It signifies that he was not deserving of death. The spotless lamb without defect died for the blemished, spotted, and scarred you and I. Did you get that? The perfect, spotless, without blemish lamb died for the blemished, spotted, imperfect. Christ Jesus died for us. Jesus is both the ransom and the substitute. He paid the price to redeem me, and he died in my place as my substitute. So now we have a fulfilled covenant and a new covenant. In John chapter 1, verse 29, says this, the next day John saw Jesus coming toward him. This is when Jesus is being baptized, the beginning of his public ministry. John the baptizer says, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Luke 22, verse 8, Jesus sent Peter and John saying, go and prepare the Passover for us so that we may eat. Matthew 26, 28, 26-28 says this, now as they were eating, Jesus took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, take and eat, this is my body. What were they supposed to take and eat in the Passover, the lamb? Eat all of it. Consume it all. To take and eat, this is my body. And he took a cup and we had given thanks. He gave it to them saying, drink all of it. Do you see the connection? Drink all of it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for the forgiveness of sin. Do you see what Jesus was doing? Jesus was, was instituting the new covenant by fulfilling the old covenant. Jesus fulfilled the old, and established the new. Jesus took the bread when he instituted what we call the Lord's Supper. 
every part of this should be paid attention to. Jesus took the bread. What kind of bread? Unleavened bread. His body was sinless. He was sinless. There was no leaven in him. There was no sin in him. And Jesus blessed it. Blessed be thou, our God, king of the universe, who brings forth fruit out of the earth. And when they took the cup, this is likely the blessing they said. Blessed be our God, the king of the universe, the creator of the fruit of the vine. And he broke it. The act was designed specifically by the Lord to shadow what would soon come, his wounding, his piercing, the breaking of his body on the cross. And all of this was necessary and essential to making full atonement for the sin of the world, just like the lamb was sacrificed and he gave it to his disciples. He gave it, he gave of himself. Not only is he seen in the breaking of his body, he is seen in the distribution of his body. He gives of himself freely, distributes and gives gifts unto men freely. He says, this is my body. And then he takes the cup and says, this is my blood. Leave none of it. It must be consumed just like the Passover lamb. Jesus was saying, take it all, be ready. For this is my blood of the new covenant. This plan and purpose of redemption, which is shed, poured out for many. His body was broken as our substitution in our place. His blood was poured out to cover our sin, to make us one with God, to reconcile us to God for the remission. He took away our sin. Then he says this, but after I am risen again, Jesus is letting us know that his death is not the end. It's just the beginning of a new life. He says, I will go before you. He will conquer hell, death, and the grave. Jesus has gone before us so that we do not have to fear death, hell, or the grave. We don't have to, to fear the destroyer because we have received the blessing of the covenant. Jared, would you come? Would you stand? We're going to receive communion in this moment. Communion is welcome for everyone. Whosoever will, let him come. What's the only requirement for, for you to come this morning and receive communion? You don't have to be a member of this church. You don't have to be a regular attender of this church. It could be your first time here. What is the only requirement for you to come? It is this. It is that you would say, God, I come to you as a repentant, with a repentant heart, and I need you, Jesus. I need you, Jesus. To wash me and cleanse me and make me new. That's the only requirement is a heart of repentance and a confession that Jesus is your Lord. We ask you to come to step out to your left of your aisle to come to your
table, receive your elements of communion, go back to the right side of your aisle, and we'll receive communion together. There is hand sanitizer for you to receive before you receive the elements of communion. Well, we thank you for this covenant. We thank you that you have ratified the covenant. We thank you, Lord, that you have welcomed us in. Not through the blood of bulls and goats, but through the blood of your son. The son of God. And the lamb slain. Lord, on the night you took the bread and you broke it and you said, this is my body broken for you. Take and eat. Likewise, you took the cup and you blessed it. And you said, this is the blood of the new covenant poured out for the remission of your sin. Drink all of it. Our God is we crushed the cup, God is signifying that sin has been dealt with through the blood of Christ Jesus. Listen, and so it's in this, the final point this morning as Jerry continues to play, final point this morning is that God has made a promise to us. This new covenant in Jesus is the fulfillment of the promises of God made to Moses in Exodus chapter 6. Remember we read those promises, those five promises? He says, Sarah, therefore, to the people of Israel, I am the Lord. I will, bring you out, I will bring you out from under the burdens of Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm, and, and with great acts of judgment, I will take you to be my people, and I'll be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God, who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will bring you to the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord. So God promises forth five things. The same things he promised to Israel happens to us. You'll have a different identity. You no longer belong to yourself. You no longer belong to the systems of this world. You have a new identity. You belong to the kingdom of God and his Christ. Second, you won't be slaves to this world, to the flesh, or to the devil. You now, through Christ, will be free to be who you were created to be as children, as sons and daughters of God. Thirdly, when God told Moses, I will rescue you with judgment, God said to us, I will rescue you with judgment. But guess what? 
Jesus took our judgment. God rescued us with judgment, but he didn't place the judgment on us. He placed the judgment on his son. And we have been reconciled. We have been rescued with judgment. Fourth promise, I will take you as my people, adoption. I will be your God. Listen, because of Jesus, we have been adopted, and the Spirit allows us to be called sons and daughters of God. And the fifth promise, I will bring you to your own country. The one whose builder and maker is God. A new Jerusalem, a heavenly city. He will bring us to that better country. All of the promises of God find their yes and amen in Jesus Christ. We needed this Passover lamb. We needed this Jesus because we were dead in our trespasses and sins. But God made us alive through Christ Jesus. And we worship you today, Lord. Our God is greater. Our Our God God is greater. Our God is stronger. God, you are higher than any other. Our God is healer, awesome in power. Our God, our God. The gods of Egypt could not stand against our God. And the gods of this age cannot stand against our God. And the gods of fear and anger and depression and anxiety and confusion cannot stand against our God. And sickness cannot stand against our God. And death cannot stand against our God. And hell cannot stand against our God. There's no God like Jehovah. There is no God like our God. There is no God like our God. One more time, our God is greater. Let's just sing it together.